morning. Some words from Thomas Merton. God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. A word will never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I am true to the concept that God utters in me, if I am true to the thought of him I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find myself nowhere. I shall be lost in him, that is, I shall find myself. I shall be saved. Thanks, Andrew. So today we're looking at the subject of self-expression. In this little Lent series that we've been having, we've looked at letting go of our opinions and attitudes about ourselves. Letting God through in the form of love. And last week, recognizing that our ultimate identity is found in God, who we fundamentally are, is that divineness within us, as well as the humanity, as Christ was two natures, divine and human. And in the higher self, in that divine consciousness, that is the identity that we have. So if we are rooted in that higher consciousness, how do we express that higher consciousness? Literally, self-expression. How do we express that highest of ourselves, the expression of the self? And it's interesting we heard that Mozart, Mozart in his, you know, one of the descriptions of Mozart's music has been the voice of God. And the idea of the expression of the self, it's very difficult when we think about ourselves as crumbly as we all are. How do we express the divine? How do we decide what is the divine, what isn't the divine? And for me, that what Andrea read, Thomas Merton's words express it perfectly. He says that God, God utters me like a word containing a partial thought of himself. The idea that we're floating out as a partial thought of God, a word. And then a word can never be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. We really can't. You know, I... You know, I've said this, but I stand up here with all this stuff, but I don't know. I really don't. I mean, you know, to say that one know what God is, is, I mean, tosh is an English word, but it, it really is, it, it doesn't make any sense to know what God is. There's, there's an old expression that, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for a fish. It's just like a fish trying to understand what a cash register is. Can you imagine a fish trying to comprehend the nature of a cat? For us to comprehend, we, we can't. So, you know, a word is never able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him that I'm meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself and find that little self of mine nowhere. I shall be lost in him. That is, I shall find myself. I shall be saved. 
Now, nowadays, saved is a very loaded word. You know, being saved is either a good thing or not a good thing, depending on what side you look at it. But it really comes from the Latin word salvare, which means to be safe. I shall be full of his actuality. I shall find him everywhere in myself, and I shall find myself nowhere. I shall be safe. I shall be uninjured. Finding our place, our place in God is therefore finding a place or the place of safety. It's the place of safety. The only real safety is found in that divine nature. The place where we're able to remain whole and uninjured and where all injury is made whole again. So if God utters like us as a word containing a partial thought of himself, the question is, how can I be true to the concept that God utters in me? How can we be true to that concept that God utters in us? How can we find out what it is? How do we express ourselves in the way that's most wholesome and deeply satisfying? It's an age-old problem that everyone's always trying to work out. And I think that that prayer that we had right at the beginning of the service is, is just gives some answer to that. It's called the colic for purity, and it's uh, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. That's such a powerful thing. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. You can imagine the miasma of uncleansingness that's there. But to express the concept that God wants to utter in us, we have to cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. You know, come and enable us to be that word. That we may, that in being that word, we may perfectly love you. And what to perfectly love God means is to fully be in cooperation with the purposes of the divine, to act out the purposes of the divine. In a sense, you know, Jesus was the perfect manifestation of wisdom. And we have to perfectly manifest whatever it is that we're asked to do, that we may perfectly love him and then worthily magnify his holy name. And when you perfectly are in that state, then something shines in you. You you worthily magnify that holiness that's there and you radiate it around. Because to love is to give oneself utterly over to God. To perfectly love God is to give oneself utterly over to God, not to keep anything back for ourselves. It's to make our purpose living in that divine, using that prayer that we talked about last week, to give and not to count the cost to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and not to ask for any reward save knowing that I do your will. There's a total self-givingness that's in that, that when we are, that when we are able to act in the nature of God, we have that self-givingness. And in doing that, we worthily magnify the name of God. We become the nature of God. We become love and therefore shine to others. And it's interesting that the colic for purity is a prayer. And in being such, it acknowledges that we can't do this on our own. And I think that's an important point. You know, we do think, well, how can I honestly, how can I perfectly be the divine, you know? 
And, and we have to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. The, the, the prayer is that we may be enabled to do it, that something will come and help us in that purposes. We have to give up to that divine coming in and helping us. To acknowledge, the first thing, therefore, is to acknowledge in being true to the concept that God utters in us, in that we obviously can't do it on our own. We have to acknowledge God's purposes within that. And it's obvious that that needs to happen. We have to empty ourselves out to the will of God and allow God to come through us. Now, it's my strikeout. There's the emptying out. My strikeout says that, that to become truly poor and to enter into God's will is, is the purpose in life, to become truly poor. And he says that he doesn't mean giving everything away by becoming truly poor. He means divesting ourselves of our own wonderful ideas as to how we should be living, to let go of those ideas. He goes on to say that as long as you even seek to fulfill the will of God, you're not truly poor. Even if you seek to fulfill the will of God, because actually it's the ego that's trying to work out what the will of God is. You have to get into a place where you're just actually doing it. He goes on to say the only way to be truly poor is to enter into that meditative state that we've spoken about before. To enter into a state where you are wanting for nothing, realizing that you want for nothing in life spiritually. And therefore you decide to will nothing, to allow everything. And within that you know nothing. So you don't put your own ideas on that. It is a state of holding what is in front of you. The state in meditation where you realize that it's not your game. We cannot work out how to be uttered by God. We have to become nothing so that God utters in us. So what we do is we realize that we can't do it on our own. It has to be God's doing. And therefore, we have to practice that. That is the purpose of practice. That is why we have a meditation practice. That's why it's so important. It's difficult to want for nothing and will nothing and know nothing in our daily lives because things are constantly coming to us. So we set a time aside where we practice doing that for half an hour or whatever it is during those periods of meditation. And the whole process is really alchemy. It is a process of alchemy. Traditionally, alchemy is about turning base metal into gold and scientists trying to work out how to do it. The reality of alchemy is turning our ego-based false self, the base metal, into the utterance of the will of God, which is gold. Turning our base metal, our ego self, into the utterance of the will of God, which is gold. That is alchemy. And becoming true to the word that God utters in us is an alchemic process. It is refining ourselves, enabling ourselves, acknowledging that God is running the process. We make ourselves nothing. But I think we also, as well as that, we have to take into account our own desires. And we do have needs and desires, but it's not the fulfillment of needs that I'm talking about here. It's our natural desires to express ourselves. You know, in the Tao Te Ching, uh, it says, right at the end of the Tao Te Ching, it says uh, in number uh, 26, that open yourself to the Tao. This is how it's expressed. Open yourself to the Tao, then trust your natural responses. Everything will fall into place. Open yourself to the Tao, 
then trust your natural responses and everything will fall into place. And there's an echo there of seek first the kingdom of heaven and then all things will be given to you. It's a question of where you put your absolute heart. And, you know, in in Romans, it talks about the fact that when you do that, there is no law. When you do that, you are what's called in Christian terms under grace, which means you don't have to even abide by the law. There aren't any laws in that situation. You are overtaken in that moment. And your, your desires become natural desires. They become actually the will of God. So you don't have to worry about those desires. And you see it, you know, when people just let those desires come through. You know, Orion and Obadiah and Sarah singing, you can see it coming through in, their, in the way that they sing. And, you know, one's desires do need refining. I mean, you know, even in my life, you know, I started out in broadcasting as my first thing, wanting to be loud. That's really what it was. And then into advertising, which is about wanting to be popular, really, because you just want people to say, what a great ad. Really what they're saying, how great you are. And then I went in for that, you know, after I'd I'd done advertising and and broadcasting, I went into motivational training and speaking. And although I've moved on from all that, there is something of an echo in all that in what I'm doing right now. You know, I am broadcasting. Hello, (laughs) mum. She won't get this far. So she, she turns off after 10 minutes. I can't get to the end, she says. All that, she says all that singing, you know. So, you know, I am in advertising as well. And, you know, in this, there is an element of motivational and public speaking in what I'm doing right now. And I think if we follow our hearts, it may not be the end point that we're arriving at, but it's a stopping off point. It, it, our, our desires now, it's what we're given to actually express is within our desires and hearts. And I think it, in uttering us a word, as a word, we're given the instincts and feelings to guide us and take us to the right place. And those feelings and instincts that we have, you know, if they are rooted in the Tao, if they're rooted in seek first the kingdom of heaven, then they will take us to the right place. The old thing, uh, you know, of God coming to us as well in the circumstances of our lives. I think in expressing ourselves, you know, our circumstances are a part of that. We're asked to respond to God in the circumstance of our lives. And whatever is happening in your life, it is part of the guidance of, of, of bringing you to express yourself fully. What's happening here? Where is the pain? What am I being asked to do? Where are we being led? It's all part of the process of becoming true to the word that God, you know, that God utters in us. And finally, we have to fall back on that old piece of mystical wisdom from Frank Sinatra. Do be, do be, do. Because we have to act, we have to do, and then we have to be while we're doing, and then experience and do again, and then be again. And there is a going backwards and forwards of experiencing and acting and experiencing. And in doing that, you know, I was going down the mountain with Gary on, on, uh, uh, on Friday, and really, the feeling of falling into that fear and actually willing yourself to go round and come round again at the same time, you're falling into it and experiencing and doing and being at the same time. And that is part of refining as to what we are. It's a process of conscious action. It is a process where we are becoming. 
we're becoming. This whole process is a process of becoming. Literally from the old English word, becuman. That's where the word comes from, becuman. To arrive at a place through being and doing. That's becoming. To arrive at a place through being and doing. To become. That great phrase, it's never too late to become the person you might have been. It's never too late to become the person you might have been. So this is a process of becoming, becoming true to the concept that God utters in us. It's arrival. It's a conscious arrival. And as such, it has to be acknowledged as the highest act that we're involved in, becoming, individually becoming and corporately becoming. God utters us, never to be able to comprehend the voice that utters it. But if I'm true to the concept that God utters in me, if I'm true to the thought of him I'm meant to embody, I shall find myself full of his actuality. I shall be made safe. And that is the journey of the spiritual life, to arrive at a place of safety. But we can't think about it too much. You know, we have to do the be, do, be, do, be, do thing. We have to do that. We have to throw ourselves like some crowd-surfing rock star. I'm not going to do that right now. But we have to throw ourselves into life like some crowd-surfing rock star upon the hands of fate and be taken wherever fate will take us, trusting that we are in God's hands to perfectly love and worthily magnify, to labor and not to ask for reward, save knowing that I do your will. And we have to be indifferent to the outcome. I've told the story about the Chinese farmer, good luck, bad luck, who knows? You you never know what bad luck is going to bring you. You never know what good luck is going to bring you. You can't decide. The tree, the one place where they were not allowed to eat in the Garden of Eden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that interesting? The knowledge of good and evil. To be able to know what's good and know what's evil, that's not up to us. And we have to do this not taking into account what the outcome would be. We so want to control our lives, but guess what? You know, we're not in control. And if we think we can argue with that, then life comes back to bite us straight away and teach us what we do need to learn. Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's an amazing thought. We are, all of us, fearfully and wonderfully made. And we continue to do so and be so day after day as the process goes on until we begin to sense that something is happening and we're not controlling it. And you do get that sense when you're in that zone, when something is happening, where you begin to effortlessly go down the mountain. You're not thinking, help, am I going to fall every five seconds? You effortlessly go. There's a flow, a harmony, a rightness about our expression that cannot be denied. And you can see it in others. You can feel it in your own life. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will open. Become that word in your life. Because, you know, it's the only thing worth living for. Let's pray.
Lord, we do pray that we become less and you become more. That we express that spirit within us, that divinity wanting to come out, to communicate with others, to touch others. May we have the courage, the heartfulness, the willingness to let go and become who we truly might be. We pray for our community here. We pray that we may express ourselves in that way as a community. And we pray for those who are needing healing at the moment. Pray for Jerry Noakes, a friend of Ellen Staplehorst in hospital. For Dave Popfin, a friend of Debbie's in hospital. For David Flores, sister Barbara Orcutt, fighting cancer. Pray for Lucy Crichton, Virginia Newton's mother. For Patricia Hill. Tessa Guylander, friend of Jessica's with stomach problems. Shelley Franklin. Lolly Schweitzer, suffering from cancer. And here today, Bob and Connie Fisher. Lord, we pray for those who are in our hearts that, that we know are needing your love, and we just mention them in our hearts. We ask that you send your healing spirit to all these people and people that are close to us. And that healing spirit into our valley, all the problems that people have, thoughts of suicide and depression, mental health issues, people in prison, hungry, lost, lonely. We pray that this place may become an expression of your divine love. And somehow we may be able to change the way people think about life and to touch some of that divine in their hearts too. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm just going to uh, suggest some ideas to you now. And I just, if you feel like it, just close your eyes. Just imagine the scene I'm going to paint before you. So I'll make sure no one's going to come in and do anything to you. So if you feel you're saved, in other words, in a place of safety, just close your eyes. You're lying in a beautiful meadow. The sun is overhead. The sky is blue. There are flowers all around you and a tree. And underneath the tree, there is an ox gazing. looks around and then looks towards you. When you meet its eyes, you suddenly get the feeling that something tremendous is going to happen very soon. Somewhere in you, you know that you're going to die. 
that this meadow is a kind of halfway house, a way station for those on their way to eternity. You begin to look back on your life. The high points. The low points. Those things that you celebrate. And those things that you regret. Those things you've achieved. And those things that you've failed to achieve. And you think back as to what your life has amounted to. What your expression has been. Suddenly you hear a noise coming from the ground right in front of you. And a hole opens up in the meadow. The meadow seems to pour into that hole from all sides. And very quickly you're sucked into the hole too. And down... And down and down you fall until suddenly you're awoken with a start. You're in your favorite room, sitting in your favorite chair, and there in front of you is the oxen. The oxen speaks. It is not yet time for you to die. Instead, I'm going to ask you to do something on my behalf. The oxen represents your higher self. I'm going to ask you to do something on my behalf. What does the oxen ask you to do? What does that mean for you in your life? And how might you start? When you're ready, come back into the room and open your eyes.